good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in the book of Hebrews. We're ready to read chapter 10. Now, last time we read chapter 9. And at the end of chapter 9, the Hebrew writer is reminding us that Christ, having been offered once and once for all, you know, for our, this, for all our sins, he will appear a second time not to deal with sin again, but instead to bring salvation to those of us who are waiting for him, who are believing in him and waiting for him. So that is, uh, Christ is not, you know, he's kind of making a point here that Christ is not dying over and over sacrificing himself over and over. He died once. <clears throat> His sacrifice is one eternal sacrifice for us that allows us to um, repent and be cleansed of our sins for all eternity. And, uh, you know, we do have to repent. We do have to keep being faithful and working on our, uh, working on our faith and, you know, working in God's word. But, his sacrifice was once and for all and for all time. It's eternal. All right, so we're ready to read Hebrews chapter 10. This is verse 1, and I am reading in the Amplified Bible. For since the law has only a shadow, just a pale representation of the good things to come, not the very image of those things, it can never, by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year, make perfect those who approach its altars. For if it were otherwise, <clears throat> would not these sacrifices have stopped being offered? In other words, if those sacrifices had made people perfect, there would have been a point in time they would have stopped offering those sacrifices. Because you would have, everyone would have been perfect. For the worshippers, having once for all time been cleansed, would no longer be, or would no longer have, a consciousness of sin. But as it is, these continual sacrifices bring a fresh reminder of sins to be atoned for year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ enters into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but instead you have prepared a body for me to offer. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no delight. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written of me in the scroll of the book. After saying in the citation above, you have neither desired nor have you taken delight in sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. And so he does away with the first covenant as a means of atoning for sin based on animal sacrifices, so that he may inaugurate and establish the second covenant by means of obedience. And in accordance with this will of God, we who believe in the message of salvation have been sanctified, that is, set apart as holy for God and his purposes, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed, once for all. So again, he's still establishing, you know, if we read through all the chapters of Hebrews so far, he is establishing and teaching the Hebrews how Jesus is the Christ, how Jesus is now our high priest. He's he's establishing, pardon me, <clears throat> he is establishing 
Jesus. He's explaining and defining the role, everything that Jesus the Messiah is to us. He is explaining to the Hebrews. And he's explaining it, hopefully, I believe, in a way that they will understand as Hebrew to Hebrew. So, um, if we know enough about their practices, a lot of this will make sense to us as well. Though I admit, a, a lot of times in the past, when I was younger and ignorant, some things didn't always line up for me. But more and more, as I've learned more over the years, it, it makes more and more sense. And that is generally the way things go. We learn as we grow. So, all right. <clears throat> I'm going to continue on. And in accordance with this will, oh, actually, we, well, I'm going to repeat that. And in accordance with this will of God, we who believe in the message of salvation have been sanctified, that is, set apart as holy for God in his purposes, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, once for all. Every priest stands at his altar of service, ministering daily, offering the same sacrifices over and over, which are never able to strip away sins that envelop us and cover us. Whereas Christ, having offered the one sacrifice, the all-sufficient sacrifice of himself for sins for all time, sat down, signifying the completion of atonement for sin at the right hand of God, the position of honor waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by the one offering he has perfected forever and completely cleansed those who are being sanctified, bringing each believer to spiritual completion and maturity. And the Holy Spirit also adds his testimony to us in confirmation of this. For after having said, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will imprint my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will inscribe them, producing an inward change. He then says, And their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more, no longer holding their sins against them. Now where there is absolute forgiveness and complete cancellation of the penalty of these things, there is no longer any offering to be made to atone for sin. Jesus gave the once and done eternal offering for, for our sins, period. And I mean, that's, that's what we're coming down to. His was the final offering, the final sacrifice needed. No other sacrifice needs to be made. That is the power of his sacrifice. Therefore, believers, since we have confidence and full freedom to enter the holy place, the place where God dwells, by means of the blood of Jesus. In other words, we can go straight to God through Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I mean, that's, that's the way it works. By this new and living way which he initiated and opened for us through the veil, as in the Holy of Holies, you know, through the veil, I think of this as the veil that was ripped, opening the Holy of Holies to us, showing that, you know, we could enter into God. It also shows that the Holy Spirit was out and was in us. It, you know, it was no longer kept and hidden behind a veil. So kind of a double meaning for, for me when I think of this. Anyway, 
Let me go back. Which he initiated and opened for us through the veil, as in the Holy of Holies, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great and wonderful priest who rules over the house of God, let us approach God with a true and sincere heart in unqualified assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. So, here, I mean, and this is something that we've all seen and, and read and we've heard people talk about, but, you know, let's seize and hold tightly our confession of hope, of our, you know, without wavering, let's believe. We know that the Lord is reliable and trustworthy. You know, let's believe in Him and, uh, Let's see how we can how we can encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. You know, we should be friends with other Christians. God's children should be our family and our friends. And not forsaking our meeting together, but instead we should want to meet together and be together when we when when we can be, whenever we can be, knowing that, you know, sometimes we can't be due to various reasons. But when we're together, we can encourage one another and, you know, strengthen one another. And it just makes things better. And we should want, you know, we should want to have these meetings. We should want to be together with our, um, with our congregation, with our, with our friends, our Christian friends and family outside of the congregation not just in the congregation so but also with the congregation all right so verse 26 for if we go on willfully and deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth there no longer remains a sacrifice to atone for our sins that is no further offering to anticipate but a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment and the fury of a fire and burning wrath which will consume the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. Anyone who has ignored and set aside the law of Moses is put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much greater punishment do you think he will deserve who has rejected and trampled underfoot the Son of God and has considered unclean and common the blood of the covenant that sanctified him? and has insulted the Spirit of Grace who imparts the unmerited favor and blessing of God. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, retribution and the deliverance of justice rest with me. I will repay the wrongdoer, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, incurring his judgment and wrath. So, you know, we should remember these things as well, that we do not want to fall into God's wrath. We don't want to be on the wrong side of God, not for any reason. We want to stay on the right side 
we want to stay on the good side and receive his blessing and his favor. But remember the earlier days when after being spiritually enlightened you patiently endured a great conflict of sufferings, sometimes by being made a spectacle, publicly exposed to insults and distress, and sometimes by becoming companions with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy and deep concern for those who were imprisoned, and you joyfully accepted the unjust seizure of your belongings and the confiscation of your property, conscious of the fact that you have a better possession and a lasting one prepared for you in heaven. So it sounds like they were going through some persecutions here. The Hebrews were going through some persecutions and some problems as well. A lot of the early Christians did. Do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence, for it has a glorious and great reward. For you have need of patient endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, the one justified by faith, shall live by faith, respecting man's relationship to God and trusting him. And if he draws back, shrinking in fear, my soul has no delight in him. But our way is not that of those who shrink back to destruction. But we are of those who believe, relying on God through faith in Jesus Christ the Messiah, and by his confident faith preserve the soul. So this is encouraging us to stay, you know, to stay in the faith, to stay righteous, to stand for the Lord and God, and not to shrink back. There's nothing that people can do to us here that, that really matters. There's nothing. So what? If they kill us, we just go to heaven. It's fine. Everything is, you know, anything we go through here, while it may be, you know, what they say, pain, you know, maybe pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. I mean, we may suffer for a while, for a time, we may go through trials, but none of that is worth giving up our faith or walking away from our faith. It's just such a momentary space of time. It's such a little thing compared to the eternal, you know, the eternal joy and the eternal love of God that we get to be with Him in heaven. So. Alright, so that is Hebrews chapter 10. Again, reading reading all of Hebrews here, uh, the Hebrew writer is definitely teaching Christ to the Hebrews, explaining all that he means to us and going through all of this comparison with the law so that they will be able to understand and know how Jesus is the Messiah and how that changes things for them as well. So, because it is a big change for them. The New Covenant is a huge change from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. So, uh, for us, also a big change, but you have to look at it from the Jewish people's point of view. The, the Old Covenant, that was what they had. That's all they knew. And they, <clears throat> they followed that. The Gentiles really didn't. Yeah, some Gentiles did, but it was probably a very extreme low percentage. Most Gentiles did not follow any covenant or have any covenant with God. So, 
here suddenly there's this big change there's a new covenant and it's brand new and totally different for the Jews and then also that new covenant is offered to the Gentiles for everyone so totally a new shocking you know totally different covenant uh, with God for them uh, yes a lot of things still harken back to the old covenant because the old covenant was still based on God's will for us and his want to protect us and wanting us to care for each other but while there are those similarities there is a lot of there's still a lot of difference too so all right I want to thank you for listening that has been Hebrews chapter 10 hope you have a wonderful day God bless you and keep you and remember God loves you